0: hey guys i'm monica crowley and this is the monica crowley podcast thank you so much for joining me here on this friday we have survived yet another week in biden's america congratulations This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. I'm on social media, Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore, and Twitter and True Social at Monica Crowley. The email account for this show, let me know what's on your mind, Podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. I read them all. I see them all. So you got to send me one if you want to hear yours read on this show. All right. Before we get to what's up on today's show, I want to tell you that we've got an exclusive story about how wokeness is destroying the US military. It's very dangerous what's happening. We are going to lose a major war and probably soon. We've got an exclusive story with a blockbuster interview that is coming up Next week, not to be missed. Also, we're going to talk with Jared Kushner coming up. We're going to talk to Paul Manafort coming up. And we're going to talk to the Babylon Bee guys coming up. Babylon Bee, the funniest site anywhere. Follow them on social media. They're hysterical. They've got a new book coming out. That interview is coming up as well. Today on the show, we're going to have a fantastic interview with the iconic actor, Kirk Cameron. He, of course, played Mike Seaver on the 1980s hit sitcom Growing Pains, and he's since dedicated his life to his faith and his family and to developing faith and family-friendly films, uh, documentaries, shows, and books. Kirk is the real deal, and he is out there changing the culture, as we always talk about, so he really deserves our support. He's got a brand-new film out on the beauty of adoption, not abortion, Adoption. It comes out today and I can't wait to talk with him. It's going to be such fun. Plus your emails. But first, the Monica memo. I want to talk about two queens today, an actual queen and a queen of victimhood. They could not be more different and their stark difference just puts today's world in bold relief. The first queen is the actual queen, Queen Elizabeth II, who passed away yesterday at the age of 96. Very, very long life, well lived. And I've got to tell you, I don't know if this struck you guys as well but she was photographed on Tuesday this week. You know, these weeks, they seem long and short all at the same time, but the Queen was photographed on Tuesday greeting the new British Prime Minister, Liz Truss, in Balmoral. She she did a farewell to the outgoing PM, Boris Johnson. She welcomed Liz Truss. She invited her to form a government, and there were photographs of them. The Queen looked you know, she's 96, so she looked old and frail, but she looked okay. I mean, she actually looked fine for 96. She was on a cane, a little bent over, and she, you know, when people get that old, they, they start to look white. They start to get that monochrome, the hair, the skin, everything sort of goes in into a white hue. And so she certainly looked that, but she looked fine. That was Tuesday. By Thursday, she was dead. I know she was 96. Anything can happen at that age, but still, it was it's a little strange. I, I don't know what happened there. We may never, never know, but it just seemed a little odd. In any case, she is gone, and I want to pay tribute to her on a number of levels because she was an extraordinary individual. She reigned about 30% of U.S. history. Did you know that her reign of about 70 years was almost a third of the history of the United States? That is just incredible. She's the longest serving British monarch. And I think there's only one monarch in the history of modern history uh, who has actually served longer. So her reign was really long and extraordinary. She was served by 15. British Prime Ministers, from Winston Churchill, who was born in 1874, to this one, the current one, Liz Truss, who was born in 1975. So think about that. That's a hundred-year difference between her first Prime Minister being born and the last Prime Minister. That reign of hers spanned 14 American presidents. It saw the end of the British Empire. It saw the West's victory in the Cold War and the birth of of the European Union, as well as Britain's exit from the European Union. So she has seen it all, and she presided over all kinds of Um, uh, developments in the UK and saw all kinds of crises, both international and national, and as well as within her own family. My friend Tina Brown, who's British, and she has been on this show talking about her most recent book about the palace called The Palace Papers. She joked at her book party that the Queen has survived her own family, (laughs) Which, which was saying something. Because that family was something else. Every family is dysfunctional in its own way. And certainly the British royal family had and has its own problems. And yet the Queen managed to survive it all uh, until this week. You know, it also struck me too, having worked for President Nixon during his last years. Nixon was also such a rock. He was like this indomitable spirit. And Nixon had strode through, what, 50, 60 years of American political life on the national scene and the the global scene as well. So there was always this sense that Nixon would never die. Um, And I think we have the same sense here with the Queen that, well, of course, they'll always be around. Nothing can defeat these people. And you get the same sense with Donald Trump as well, that they're, they're never going anywhere. They will always be with us. And so I remember when President Nixon died, I, w- I was obviously very close to him. He was my boss. He was my mentor. He was my friend. He was like a grandfather to me. So when he passed, I, I remember thinking... I never expected this moment to happen. And I think a lot of people felt that way and, you know, that nothing could defeat him because he had so many comebacks and had survived so much. And I think in the case of the queen, it's a very similar situation, but in the end, death is the great equalizer and it's going to come for us all. So, you know, when you think about the queen, 70 years, I mean, people cannot, can't go seven minutes in the public eye without, making some mistake, a misstep, saying something incorrect. She only had two in 70 years, as far as I can tell. She had two missteps. The first one was a gentleman named John Grigg in 1957, uh, really encouraged the queen to modernize the institution. And she fought that for a while. In the end, she took the advice and began to modernize the monarchy so it could survive in the 20th century and beyond. Um, But she fought that for a while. She was a real traditionalist. So she fought that, totally understandable, but it became a public story at the time and put a little bit of a dent in her very early on in her reign. And then, of course, the second one was when Princess Diana was killed in 1997 in that car crash in Paris. She stayed at Balmoral, and she didn't, she was obviously... Caring for her grandsons who had just lost their mother, but she didn't come out for days and days on end, and it started to turn around on her. The British people began to say, "Where is our queen? We're out here grieving. We can't believe what just happened to this uh, to Princess Diana, whom we just you know revered. They they really did. They loved Princess Diana. The world loved Princess Diana." So that was a very emotional time, and the queen wasn't present for her people. Tony Blair, the prime minister at the time, made a very uh, private entreaty to her, to the palace. You know, you got to get the queen in front of the, her people. This is not a joke. You know, the the monarchy is is in danger here. Support for the monarchy is starting to slip. People are saying, well, if she won't be here for us in our time of need and grief, then what good is she? What use is the monarchy? So Blair went to her and really, and she fought it for a couple of days and then finally gave that famous speech about mourning Princess Diana. But that that was another misstep. But if you think about it, in the course of seven decades, to only have those two issues sort of uh, percolate up, that's pretty amazing. Again, most people can't go seven minutes without creating a spectacle in public. 70 years, just absolutely incredible. And for all of the dramas of the other royals, including Prince Andrew, Prince Charles and Camilla and Diana, and now Harry and Meghan, Meghan Markle is an absolute nightmare We will talk about her another time. I have plenty of things I want to say about Meghan Markle. But today is not the day for that. But with all of these dramas, the Queen never had a hint of scandal. Not at all. For seven decades, this woman just showed up and did her duty for her people and her country. This is one of the reasons why she's under attack now, even in death. Of course, there are opponents of the monarchy, that's a separate issue, who don't want a monarchy, and they've always been that way, and they've always argued that. Again, that's a separate issue to talk about. But it's what the queen represented that they hate and what they're attacking. It's less about the woman than what she represented. Queen Elizabeth was the last of the greatest generation from World War II and the generation that survived the Great Depression that affected the entire West, really the world, and then went on to great leadership in World War II. Whether you were the Princess Elizabeth during World War II, as she was, or you were a grunt in the U.S. Army storming the beaches of Normandy, every single one of those individuals is a member of the greatest generation they are passing from the scene very quickly, and there are very few of them left. They're well into their upper 80s and 90s now. And she was really the last of the greatest generation on the global scene like that. Because of that, you know, she really connected generations because her life spanned about, what, four generations, really. Um, she, her life was just breathtaking, and she had great-grandchildren, so yeah, four generations. So her life was really the connective tissue between four generations. And really, she was a touchstone to that history and a touchstone to the Great Depression, World War II, then throughout the Cold War, 20th century into the 21st century. Her life brought everybody together in a non-controversial way. She wasn't Donald Trump Trump. She wasn't, uh, uh, you know, Barack Obama. She wasn't a political figure. She didn't polarize people. She didn't set people into their tribes. She did the reverse. She brought people together. And that, I think, is why, another reason why so many people are mourning her, because we're actually mourning the passing of an era which was a lot more civilized with a lot more decorum and presence and responsibility. Those values that she represented are evaporating from scene really fast. She represented reserve. She represented discretion. She didn't go out there and blab. She wasn't going on Oprah. Do you know that that the Queen never gave a single media interview? In the whole 70 years that she reigned, not one. That discretion is very rare these days with social media and Instagram and here I am on my family vacation and oh, let me go blab to Oprah like Meghan and Harry. She did not do that. She did not flap her gums. She never put her family's dirty laundry on display. Discretion. She represented duty. She represented selflessness. She represented patriotism love of her country. What she put out there is, it's not about her. It wasn't about her. It's not about you or your feelings. There are some things that are bigger than you, like your country, like duty, like responsibility. Her mantra very early on was, never complain, never explain. Exactly so. Exactly so. She was also a great ally of the United States. She was officially politically neutral. She has to be wearing the crown. But I suspect that Queen Elizabeth was a closet conservative because she had a real soft spot for Republican presidents. Richard Nixon, they got on so well that President Nixon, my old boss, at the time wanted to uh, set his daughter, Trisha Nixon, up with Prince Charles. (laughs) <laughs> and have them date and maybe get married at the time. Well, she dodged that bullet. I gotta, t- I gotta tell you that. Uh, but they got on famously, Nixon and the Queen. I tweeted out a picture of the two of them; just wonderful. Uh, Ronald Reagan—they were both horsemen, so they got along. Fantastic. George W. Bush, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. There's some great pictures of the two of them laughing. So the queen laughed with them. She flirted with them a little bit. It was all very sweet. In the end, the queen kept her promise to the British people to serve them with her whole being until her very last breath, which she did. She was the grandest of grand ladies, and the greatest of the greatest generation. Rest in peace, QE2. Now I want to turn our attention to another queen the Queen of Victimhood. I speak, of course, of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from the Bronx, or Sandy from Westchester, as Tucker Carlson uh, refers to her. Um, AOC does believe that she is a queen. She is on the cover of GQ magazine, which I didn't even know still existed, but apparently it does. She is on the cover. And in the interview, Sandy from Westchester plays victim again, of American racism and misogyny, bigotry, she says. She says in this interview she fears for her life. Of course, like on January 6th, oh, I was cowering under my desk on Capitol Hill when she wasn't even close to where the riot was happening. She says here she fears for her life. She's uncertain about her future because so many people in this country hate women and women of color specifically. She praised GQ for taking, quote, some big risks by interviewing her so that she could tackle the issue of gender and politics. She made it clear that she was proud to have two legendary trans icons photographing her and styling the images. She also talked about abortion in this interview, as well as gender in politics. She claimed, quote, men suffer from being under patriarchy. Men suffer and the patriarchy. She also talked about her future and expressed great concern. Quote, sometimes little girls will say, oh, I want you to be president or things like that. Explaining that it's, quote, very difficult for me to talk about because it provokes a lot of inner conflict in that I never want to tell a little girl what she can't do. And I don't want to tell young people what is not possible. I've never been in the business of doing that. But at the same time, and then according to GQ's writer, her speech, quote, slowed to a crawl. And for the first time in the hours we had spent speaking, she broke eye contact, burying her gaze in the arm of her chair. Tears pooled in the corners of her eyes, he wrote. She said, I hold two contradictory things in mind at the same time. One is just the relentless belief that anything is possible, she said. Then she went on to say that she fears for her life as so many Americans hate women and further, minority women. She is the queen of victimhood, constantly whining about America and her place in it and gender roles and race, lying about the American people, smearing them. AOC is an opportunist. She is a political actress for whom all is theater. She's also an absolute fraud, unlike Queen Elizabeth II, who was honest, resilient, and her mantra, never complain, never explain, exactly so. AOC is the exact opposite of the queen. All she does is explain, and all she does is complain. But we would be very, very foolish indeed to dismiss her because she's very good on social media. She's very good at communicating. We disagree with her. We think she's an absurd fool and a raging communist. All of those things are true. But do not underestimate her. Because the era of never complain, never explain, symbolized by the queen, is now gone. It's, it's evaporating very fast. And this new era of only complain, only explain, only smear is upon us. And the queen of that is AOC, who would like to be president someday. God help us. All right, when we come back, we're going to switch gears and talk to the iconic actor, Kirk Cameron, about his brand new film about adoption. It's going to be a fantastic, really fun interview, so sit tight for that. Back in a flash. Okay, everybody, listen up. Well, I have been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. I can't tell you what a thrill it is to welcome someone we all know who many of us grew up watching and on whom many a young lady had a crush. Many still do. Kirk Cameron is known by millions as Mike Seaver from the 1980s hit sitcom Growing Pains when he became a household name. Since then, he has turned his attention, his time, and his energy into faith and family-focused films, TV shows, and live events. These projects include Fireproof, which I saw and I absolutely loved. That was the marriage-centered film that became the number one inspirational movie of the year. And if you haven't seen Fireproof, you've got to see it. He's also produced a number of very important documentaries. He's also got a brand new talk show called Takeaways, which airs weekly on Monday nights on TBN. So watch that as well. And he's launched American Campfire Revival 100-Day Plan. ACR urges the family of faith, that is all of us, to return to the principles that will bring protection and blessing back to America. And guys, we talk about this on this show all the time. We need that now more than ever. This is a spiritual battle. And once you see it in those terms, you cannot unsee it kirk's brand new film is called life mark which celebrates the culture of life and adoption and what a moment for that message right it opens in theaters nationwide today and kirk cameron joins me now kirk welcome
1: thank you so much monica it's great to be talking with you and um Wow, I'm so excited. Today is an exciting day. The movie comes out that we've been working on for two and a half years, and it couldn't be more perfectly timed.
0: It certainly is. And it's such a beautiful film, Kirk. And I I thank you so much for joining me. You know, when I mentioned about many a young lady growing up having a crush on one Kirk Cameron, um, I will count myself among them. Who still does, who still does. So it's a real honor to have you here. And, you know, you're you're such an iconic pop culture figure, of course, but you're also a true warrior for God and the family. So thank you for that. And I do want to talk to you about Life Mark, this new film that's opening nationwide today. But before we get to that, Kirk, I would love for you to share a little bit about your own faith journey, because your devotion to God and to Jesus is so inspirational for so many. How did you get here?
1: <clears throat> so, gr- growing up, I was not a fan of God or church or faith or anything like that because I called myself an atheist. My parents didn't take us to church, uh, although I, I think my mom had um, the seeds of faith when she was a little girl. But it was really when I was about seventeen years old. I was right in the middle of growing pains, and I met somebody who invited me to get to know her a little better, and she was really pretty. So I thought, sure, I'll <laughs> take her up on this offer. I'll meet you and your family. But it was at church. And as an atheist, I wasn't too excited about this, but I was, I was also an actor, right? So I could fake it. Mm-hmm. I could fake being a Christian. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I sat in the back row and heard a message from the preacher that really um, – it pricked my conscience, it captivated my curiosity, and I started asking a lot of questions. And there were questions like, you know, every 17 year old is probably asking, well, what happens when you die? Uh, you know, I don't wanna believe in things that I can't see. I don't wanna believe in fairy tales. Uh, what about other religions? What about, I mean, how do we know a guy actually can, can rise from the dead? And so I asked this girl's father a bunch of questions. He answered them for me, he gave me a great little book called More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell, which helped me uh, on an intellectual level, open the door to examine the possibility that maybe I was wrong in my atheism. And I remember sitting on the side of the street, uh, parked in my sports car, thinking about the fact that one day I would die and find out if what that preacher said was true, if there is really a God and a heaven or, or a hell. And I knew that if he was right, I wouldn't be going to the good place. Um, And I decided I would pray. I didn't know how to do it. Again, I'm an atheist. Uh, You know, how does an atheist pray? Uh, So I just did what I saw everybody in church do. I bowed my head. I closed my eyes. I don't know. I thought it was some little mystical trick that sent the prayers all the way up, you know, through the the, the clouds to the heavens. And I just said, God, if you're there, would you please show me? I want to know the truth. I don't want to be duped into a, a, a dumbed down religious fairy tale but if you really made the universe and I've been ignoring you for 17 years, would you please forgive me and open my eyes and help me become the person you want me to be? Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing supernatural happened at that moment that I could detect other than I felt there was a crack in the arrogant veneer that I had developed as a teenage celebrity in Hollywood. And I felt very small, and I wanted to know more, and I just felt grateful that maybe I was being given a second chance. And so I started reading the Bible, somebody gave it to me, and I felt like the Bible was reading me. It told me who I am, why I'm here, where I'm going, and how to know God and find eternal life. And the more I've studied, the more questions I've asked, and the more life I've lived, I have come to believe after 35 years that my faith in Jesus Christ and in the Bible as God's word has been well placed and I'm very grateful.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing that Kirk that testimony is incredibly powerful. And you know what I was thinking as you were as you were beginning that story Kirk where you said well, there was a very pretty girl, and she arrived on the scene and caught my eye. And, you know, I wasn't interested in God, but I was interested in her. That, that is such a perfect example of how God works. It's divine intervention. It's a divine appointment, right? And, you know, when people say, when people say Kirk, um, you know, God knows every hair on your head. Well, so does the enemy, so I'm sure the enemy sent you many pretty girls, but it was this one that God was using to get you into church to develop that relationship with him. And that is incredibly powerful. And you also said, Kirk, you said, yeah, I'm an actor, so I could fake being a Christian. You could fake it to her and everybody around her, but you couldn't fake it with God.
1: That's that's right. That's right. There's, you know... Um, Pretty, pretty girls have always been a divine intervention. Uh, ever since the Garden of Eden, right? It's not good that Adam was alone. Divine intervention is necessary. <laughs> and uh, certainly it was true in, in my case. And now I'm married to um, the most beautiful woman in the entire world, uh, as far as I am concerned. Uh, Chelsea actually played my girlfriend on Growing Pains. Yes. Uh, and this was maybe a year after I had come to faith. And we've been married now for 31 years. We have six children. And um, God works in ways that I never expected. Again, I, I didn't even want to be an actor. That was My plan was to be a doctor. That's, that was my, my trajectory. And God uh, had different ideas. And I'm so glad that the doors to my plans were shut. Uh, because the open doors he provides are so much better.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, when you said you when you were growing up, you know, you didn't want to be an actor. You kind of fell into it, but you didn't fall into it, Kirk, because God knows exactly what he's doing. He orders your steps, and he gave you that platform knowing he was going to turn your heart to him. And so you were blessed with this extraordinary stardom. And of course, when you married Chelsea, you broke many a teenage girl's heart, but I'm not going to go there. Um, But God Mm -hmm. knew what he was doing in giving you the platform of celebrity and stardom so that you could bring his message to millions of people.
1: Well, I'm so glad that he did. Um, He closed the door on my atheism. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist anymore. And it's the most obvious and uh, makes sense way to think that I can imagine to understand that what we have here is a great gift from God. Um, you know, people sometimes say, oh, Kirk, how, you know, why do you have such strong faith in God that's so great? And and, and uh, a friend of mine named Ray Comfort pointed out that when, when we have great faith in God, that's not really a compliment to us, it's a great compliment to God. Uh, think of it when you say, "I have great faith in my doctor." That's not a compliment uh, to yourself. It's a compliment to your doctor because he's so good at what he does. He's so trustworthy. In fact, you'd lay down on an operating table and let him, let him, you know, rearrange your 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 organs. He's so good. That's why you have faith in him, and that's how I feel about God. He orders the universe. He speaks it into existence uh, with his words. Uh, he paints beautiful sunsets in the sky with air and light. And he guides our steps. He counts the hairs on our head. And his plans for us uh, are for uh, a hope and a future, uh, not for evil. So I I have great faith in God because he is so great.
0: Oh, amen. And you know what? Also, life is so hard. You know, life is full of difficulty. So to me, I've never been an atheist. I've always been a believer. But I look at atheism and I think, man, that's got to be exhausting and depressing and dark and, and nihilistic. Right and and to me, you know, when you have faith in in Jesus and faith in God the Father, it it lightens up everything and it brings you that peace. It brings you that shalom that you simply cannot get anywhere else.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you, Monica. And, and I'm I, I'm I'm just the uh, sort of the junior student philosopher, so I I don't want to try to wax too eloquent here. But but I found that as a young atheist and as I listen to more and more seasoned atheists, I also find not only does atheism appear to be exhausting, it's dishonest, because there are not many atheists who are honest enough to be intellectually consistent and live within their own worldview, philosophically or morally. Uh, Most atheists want to believe that lying and stealing and murdering is wrong, but in an atheistic worldview where you don't have a transcendent moral law to violate, who's to say that, uh, you know, child trafficking is evil if you don't have a Judeo-Christian moral worldview. Um, and so people want meaning and purpose in their life. They want to live by love and believe that good is is better than evil. But you've got to have a foundation for that to even exist in your thinking. So essentially, you've got to steal from the Judeo-Christian worldview in order to live by the values that you love.
0: Uh, Unless
1: you just want to be consistent and uh, be like uh, some of the other atheistic philosophers who have uh, ended up just killing themselves because they've come to the conclusion life is meaningless and they'd rather just end it all now.
0: Which is no way to live and is no way to go through this life and it's not how God intended for us as well. Okay, Kirk, I'm gonna ask you to please stand by. I have so many more questions for you, and I'm I'm so eager to talk to you about this beautiful film called Life Mark. So please stand by. We're gonna have more with Kirk on the other side. But first I want all of you guys to be healthy. To get myself healthier, I am taking Field of Greens every day and you should too. Field of Greens is packed with a full spectrum of essential vegetables and fruits, plus science-backed herbs and prebiotics. It's what I need to stay healthy, and you should be taking it too. Field of Greens works fast and tastes absolutely delicious. You'll have more energy, you'll look and feel healthier, and it can even help you lose weight. So join me and take Field of Greens too. To help you get started, I got you 15% off your very first order and another 10% off when you subscribe for recurring orders. So visit them at fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code MONICA. Field of Greens, promo code Monica. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back with the one and only Kirk Cameron. Okay, Kirk, let's talk about your brand new film, which opens in theaters nationwide today. It's called Life Mark. And guys, you know, we always talk about changing the culture. I always remind you about Andrew Breitbart's famous line that everything, including politics, which we spend a lot of time on this show talking about – Everything, including politics, is downstream from culture. How do we change the culture? And I know it's an uphill battle, but there are people on the front lines actually doing that, and that includes Kirk Cameron right here with all of the faith-oriented films, TV shows, documentaries that he produces. So if you really want to change the culture, support this film. It's called Life Mark. Again, it opens in theaters nationwide today, so go go buy a ticket, many tickets. Go see it more than once. Um, Kirk, this film is absolutely beautiful and it's inspired by a true story. Tell us about it.
1: So Life Mark is, as you said, based on a true story. And uh, it's the story of a young girl who changes her mind on the abortion table. Uh, She something inside of her is speaking to her saying, it's not too late. It's not too late. And she rolls off of the table. She changes her mind and chooses life over abortion. And she hides the pregnancy from her parents. And then she gives birth to her son and places him up for adoption, thinking she'll never see him again. 19 years later, she receives a phone call from him saying that he wants to meet with her. And she thinks that he probably hates her guts for, leaving him abandoning him and it makes her feel like a horrible mother but there's hope and she she agrees to meet with him and finds out that the opposite is true that she is a hero and he wants to meet her to thank her for giving him this life and this beautiful adoptive family um it's a movie with so much heart so much humor and it is so perfectly timed monica think about this who In the world would have thought that in our lifetime, Roe versus Wade would be aborted. Yes. And here on the the heels of this Supreme Court ruling is a movie rushing into the movie theaters starting tonight that celebrates the value of life in the womb and the beauty of adoption.
0: It's just incredible. And I know it takes a long time to develop movies, get them done, produced, and then distributed like this. So this must have been in process for a long time. So when, Kirk, when you guys heard uh, the Supreme Court decision a couple of months ago, you must have been, first of all, from a life standpoint and a faith standpoint, you must have just been over the moon. But also the timing for this film was right on point.
1: It, you're exactly right. And we couldn't have timed it this way. Not only is this movie, um, uh, it wrote itself. We couldn't have written a script this good. We we literally interviewed the the real birth mom and the real son and the adoptive mom and dad. And we, we literally just rolled the movie out the way it really happened. But then also the timing was providential. I mean, we started this movie two and a half years ago. It was delayed by the COVID pandemic shutdowns. And then all of a sudden, as we're ramping up for the release, the Supreme Court ruling happens. And so it's, it's so perfect. Um, I, I couldn't be more excited about it. And, and not only from a, a movie actor, producer point of view, but personally, um, Monica, I have six children. Uh, my wife and I adopted our first four children. My wife is also an adopted child. All of them were one doctor appointment away from not existing my Chelsea, my Jack and Bella, my sweet children. And if Chelsea hadn't been born, our two natural born children wouldn't be alive either. Mm -hmm. So my whole family exists because of people who choose life in a difficult situation. And that's what Life Mark really illustrates for us is how do you look at a difficult situation with an unplanned pregnancy through the lens of love? Love, not only for the birth mother, but also the feelings and the struggles of the birth father in all of this. Uh, there's there's a character who's rarely talked about in yes. this story, in in the adoption abortion story. But then love toward the child with a future ahead of him or her, valuable and precious. And then the feelings of that couple who longs to start a family but are unable to have children. And and life mark brings all of it together, and you see how God paints a picture. Uh, and and weaves uh, a tapestry that leaves you feeling inspired, encouraged, and uh, so grateful for the value of life.
0: I love the message, Kirk, which is all about God's love for all of his children through adoption. And I also love how personal it is for you and Chelsea um, in so many ways. But I remember when you were beginning your family and you were adopting, and I remember reading about it in the press and thinking, wow, man, that is just... That's an act of God right there and how beautiful it is. So to tell this story now on film in a different way, but it's still so personal for you is is remarkable. And you know, Kirk, when you were talking about the timing on this with Roe versus Wade, it just struck me. It's something that I truly believe and I tell people all the time. God is never late. He's always right on time. And we are so, as human beings, we're so, especially in this culture, we're so into instant gratification and immediate results, and social media is always so fast and instantaneous, and sometimes God makes us wait, but he makes us wait for a reason.
1: Amen. Uh, pass the offering plate. <laughs> this, this is, this is- you're speaking my language. God is the blessed controller of all things and and we can be excited about that. When good things happen, when bad things happen, uh, one of my one of my favorite uh, writers of the past, Charles Spurgeon, said that uh, for the, the the man who or the woman who is loved by God, uh, even the the worst calamities are just uh, good, uh, thinly disguised or mysteriously disguised. And and he's choreographing all things and working it together as a a great masterpiece of art. Um, And that's what I hope people feel about Life Mark, is that this is not only a a fun experience in the movie theaters, uh, I have to warn you, it's probably a two or three Kleenex movie. There is so much emotion that's driving this story. I mean, can you imagine uh, a birth mother who has not held her son for 19 years? He's now a man and he's showing up in your driveway to say hello, and you don't know whether he's come to say, I love you or I can't believe you abandoned me and I'm angry with you. We've got all of these scenes um, teed up for you to see in the movie Life Mark. uh, And it's a a movie that is pro-abundant life, pro-family, pro-love, pro-forgiveness, pro-reconciliation, and new beginnings.
0: Yes. Yes. And I love that. And I love that you say it's a two or three Kleenex box movie. You know, I, I saw Knocked Up when it came out and it's very funny and it's very touching. And it, it was a great, great movie. But over the summer since Roe, I saw Knocked Up again. Uh, it was just playing up on cable and it struck me as such a beautiful pro-life film that i was crying through this comedy i was crying and it's the same thing with life mark is it is going to move you in a new way given the fact that the supreme court has now overturned roe v wade it's going to make you look at the whole life issues so differently and i think it's also going to move kirk a lot of people's uh views of adoption don't you i think this film is really going to change people's views about the whole yes. process
1: I-, I think so too um Monica, from the research that I've done, I've I've learned that many women have actually come to the conclusion that if they are experiencing an unplanned pregnancy, that they would rather abort their child than place their child for adoption because they think adoption is the morally worse choice. And that sounds crazy, but I think the feeling is, I would be seen as such a bad mom if I give my child away, if I just leave them in the hands of perfect strangers. What what kind of person am I? So they'd rather take care of it before it's even born. I think LifeMark is going to change all of that. And, and it's going to demonstrate that a, a, adoption and placing a child for adoption is one of the most selfless, heroic things that you could possibly do. If you find yourself in a difficult spot and and life is not easy, we live in a broken, fallen world and uh, none of us make perfect choices all the time. It's then what do we do with it? Are we going to look at that situation through the lens of love? Are we going to step out in faith and do the right thing? I mean, do you you know, there's 36 adoptive couples per every child available for adoption in our country. Wow, Families longing for children out there. And um, I believe that Life Mark is going to change so many hearts and so many minds. And if you think about it, adoption is at the center of God's heart. Jesus himself is the result of an unplanned pregnancy from Mary's human perspective.
0: <laughs> I love that. And
1: Joseph had to step up in complete faith and adopt him yes. into his family. Moses, the same way, was scheduled to be aborted by government decree. And in faith, his mother chose life, and it was even illegal to do what she did. And then Moses was adopted. And look look at the beauty that adoption produces. Yes, And I think it should be at the center of our heart as well. And I think Life Mark will, uh, will just proclaim that message uh, loudly and beautifully.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, 1,000%. And you know what, Kirk? The left is a master of manipulating language. And so when abortion became legal with Roe v. Wade in 1973, they co-opted the word choice. And they made it all about a woman's quote-unquote right to choose, pro-choice. This movie, Life Mark, Really is a powerful reminder of the power of choice in the other direction, and and I think um, redefining that word, taking it back in the context of adoption, is so important. And I think this movie is going to go a long way to doing exactly that.
1: Th- that's right, Monica. One of my pet peeves, uh, even with those that I wh- whose values I agree with, is. Uh, People seem to love to rehearse the problems over and over. Like, look, look, look at the look at these people and their hypocrisy. Look at these people and socialism, communism has arrived in America. Um, yes, I agree. But what I want to do, and what I hear you doing, is to then propose the solutions. Often, those on the extreme left are doing exactly what we should be doing in the world of right moral values, and that is. We should be soaking our children's minds in the truth, and we should be teaching them that love is not love if it's not married to the truth. And that's what I hear you doing. We can't just complain about the the left co-opting language. We need to say this has happened on our watch. Language is something we need to do a better job of using. And, And yes, adoption is a beautiful solution to the abortion problem. And when we begin practicing true religion, as the Bible calls it, uh, caring for widows and orphans, the fatherless in their time of distress, we begin to create the culture rather than complain about the culture. And that's what I'm hoping that Life Mark is going to help us do.
0: Yes. And when we talk about choice, adoption is a very powerful choice. And this movie, Life Life Mark, Kirk, it's so beautiful in so many ways. It's also a powerful reminder of why all lives matter. You know, the left tried to co-opt that too uh, in the summer of 2020, that you weren't allowed to say all lives matter, but they do. And Life Mark reminds everybody of that. And the film also reminds people of the power of hope. You know, a lot of people look around at the country and the world and, and it's all very dark and there's a lot of despair out there, but this film really reminds everybody that God is hope. And like God, hope is eternal. And there's no more powerful message than that. Kirk Cameron.
1: Monica, I I, I agree with you. Uh, We need hope. Like we need air. And, uh, hope is not flying in on air force one hope is not going to come in the form of a stimulus package uh, or uh, a mandate from the cdc our hope is the power of god working in the hearts of people and if we will stay in, in in sacred friendship in covenant relationship with god and then walk with him applying his word to every area of our culture family church and civil government uh we can begin to see heaven come to earth
0: oh. Oh, what a what a message! I mean, just incredible, Kirk. You are such an inspiration and a beacon of hope for so many, with the many talents that God has given to you and blessed you with. And of course, the biggest of them all is your heart for God, which shines through everything you do and touches so many people. You are really you are such a shepherd for the Lord, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. This film is incredible, guys. You're you're always saying, "How do we do this? How do we change the culture?" This is how you do it. It, you go see Life Mark today. Over the weekend, it's a nationwide release. As of today, theaters everywhere. Go get a ticket, more than one. Go see it multiple times. If you want Hollywood to change, if you want the culture to change, you support Movies Life Like Life Mark, because that's what sends the signals to the secular powers that be in Hollywood and elsewhere, driving this culture, that this is the content we want to see. These are the messages we want. These are the kinds of movies we will support and want to see continue to be made. It's called Life Mark. Check it out on the web, lifemarkmovie.com. Go see it this weekend and and just continue to support messages like this. Kirk Cameron, what a blessing and honor to have you with me today. Oh,
1: Monica, you've encouraged me so much and you're doing such great work. Um, thank you for your convictions and your commitment. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, celebrating all the great things that are going to come from this.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Kurt. What a blessing. Kurt Cameron, of course, he is a world-famous actor, but he's devoted now to the Word of God and making sure that, that people hear the message of hope and life from God. The movie, again, is called Life Mark. It opens today. Go see it. We'll be right back. Time now for the Friday email bag. Our email address is podcast at gmail.com, podcast at gmail.com. Patrick writes, Monica, it seems foolish to expect Trump to win in 2024, knowing that we didn't solve the fraud problem. Biden was probably the weakest opponent ever in the history of elections, and somehow he won. Trump is the first incumbent president to receive more votes in his second term and still lose not possible. Biden received more votes than Obama? Not possible. The media keeps saying that there was not enough fraud to make a difference, but we do know that over 5 million vote ballots were illegally harvested and no one is allowed to investigate. And how can mail-in ballots be unfolded? If Americans feel cheated, they won't vote. This is the most important issue in our country. January 6th is being manipulated to intimidate freedom-loving Americans that want fair elections. The FBI created a scam to infiltrate the crowd on January 6th and coerce them and trick them to enter the Capitol so that Pence would not consider Ted Cruz's protest. The Republicans are cowards and are not willing to fight against the Marxist extremists who hate Democracy. Well, a very powerful note, Patrick. Thank you. This is why we've just spent a good deal of time on this podcast discussing 2020 and what went down. We went through all of the facts and the evidence that we have so far, not rumor or innuendo, but actual facts and things that are part of the public record. So investigations continue. And states are taking action to stop this from happening again. But as we heard earlier on this podcast from Molly Hemingway and and others, uh, you know, we've heard that the Biden administration, the federal government, is now throwing its weight behind doing the Mark Zuckerberg manipulations without Mark Zuckerberg. It's totally unconstitutional. So as Molly indicated, it's being challenged in the courts where it will likely be tossed, we hope in time for the midterms, but our side is always playing catch up. We're always one election cycle behind, right? It's infuriating. The other side is doing unconstitutional things because they are trying to destroy the Constitution. Period. So we all need to get to work at the local level, like we always talk about, to make sure that these elections are secure. Seriously, we guys, we need to be out there in the field. Um, During the Arizona primaries, they actually staged mail-in drop box watch parties where they they rolled up and they had coolers full full of wine and beer and and food and soda and stuff and they watched these mail and drop boxes all night all day they made a party out of it that's the way it's done we've got to do it let's go all right guys that's going to do it for me here on this friday have a fantastic weekend i will see you right back here on monday The next couple of weeks here on the show are going to be unbelievable. We've got the Babylon Bee guys coming on, which is going to be hysterically funny. We've got Jared Kushner, big interview with him, big interview coming up with Paul Manafort. We've got so much lined up. David Limbaugh is going to be here. Incredible. So you're not going to want to miss a single Monica Crowley podcast. Thank you for that. Thank you for checking out all of our great sponsors on the show. They keep the show going, so we appreciate that as well. Have a great weekend. See you on Monday.